going to take a look at the um, first three verses of Ephesians chapter 4. We've taken a break from our study in the book of Genesis. Uh, we're going to get back there, don't worry, uh, sometime soon. Um, but uh, we've been looking kind of at some of our, our different core values as a church. And uh, this week I picked uh, a core value of gospel authenticity. And uh, that's really how the gospel fosters a real, genuine, authentic, Christ-centered community among believers. And so that's a core value here we have as a church because we see it in the scriptures. And we want to uh, talk about that this morning through one of the passages that speaks to that, which is Ephesians chapter 4. So once you get there, why don't you stand up with me for the reading of God's word. Uh, And we're just going to read the first uh, three verses and dive in. Starting there in verse 1. As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love, making every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of of peace. The word of the Lord. You guys can take a seat. So we're going to be looking at this topic of unity today, and unity is important for uh, a lot of different types of people, but particularly important for uh, things like sports teams or organizations or um, at your workplace or whatever it may be. But Unity, I want to talk about from the example here of a sports team, is is particularly important. Each team has to have unity to be able to succeed. And really part of one of the biggest jobs of a coach is to bring a diverse group of people with diverse talents and diverse gifts together for one purpose of playing that particular game and winning that game. And so that's one of the most important jobs that a coach has, bringing these people that are all different together for one sole purpose of winning this game and and playing together. It makes me think about one of my favorite sports movies, um, which is Remember the Titans. And if you guys remember the movie, Remember the Titans, hopefully you've all seen it. Um, Basically, you have uh, two schools that uh, right before segregation ended, now they're merging together. And, and they have to come together black and white, okay? So this black school, this white school has to come together. They have two separate football teams. And now these two separate football teams have to be united as one. Needless to say, there's a lot of division between these two teams. Um, they, all kinds of different things divide them. But there's a crucial turning point where Denzel Washington, who has made the head coach, he, they are at um, a preseason camp, at, I think it was at Gettysburg, and they're at this, this camp, and he wakes them up after a really hard camp. I mean, they're not getting along, they're fighting at every chance that they get, and there are problems. And so he, he wakes them up for an early morning run, okay, like early, early morning. And he wakes them up, and they go on this crazy run, they're running through the forest, the fog is coming up still, it's, it's time when everybody still should be sleeping, Everybody's, you know, almost passing out. And they get to uh, the the graveyard area here in the the, uh, battlefield of Gettysburg. And he gives this great speech, right? What's the speech all about? The speech is basically if we don't become unified here, then we're going to be torn apart when we go back home. 
He talks about unity and how important that is to say, look, we need to put aside our differences and come together as a team. And that's the only way that we're going to win football games. And he pleads for unity on those grave sites there at Gettysburg. But you know, in a sinful world, unity is a fight. It's something that is difficult. It's something that must be fought for daily. It's not something that just comes easy or comes with the flow of things. No, it's something that we have to fight upstream against, but it's worth fighting for. And especially for Christians, we see here in Ephesians 4 that it is something that we should care a lot about. We would, should seek to maintain it or seek to make every effort to fight for unity. And so our, our theme this uh, morning as we look at Ephesians 4 is this, that because Christ, through his work on the cross, has made us one, we are to fight to maintain that unity with everything that we've got. So Christ has made us one. We've seen that already in the book of Ephesians if we were to go back. But we have the job of maintaining that unity by his help and for his glory. So let's dive into our text here at hand. And we're going to see three things. The first is unity's call. Unity's call. Look back at verse 1. I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. So as Paul sits here in his prison cell writing the letter of Ephesians to the church at Ephesus, he is giving an exhortation to God's people. That exhortation is concerned with how people walk, how Christians conduct their way of life, walking worthy or walking in a manner that is worthy of the calling. It's like when a coach tells his or her players that they are to act on the field and off the field in a way that honors the jersey that they wear. Basically what they're saying is don't be an embarrassment to us or to the team, or don't have your actions not line up with the gravity of what this team is all about. A good coach cares about not just the player's performance on the field, but also off the field. Because off the field, they represent that team. One more sports reference here. A running one, since I, I love to run. Steve Prefontaine was a famous uh, American distance runner back in the day. And uh, he was one of America's greatest uh, distance runners before he died at a premature age uh, in a drunk driving accident. But he was known for how he ran the race just as much as winning the race. And uh, in the, the, uh, I was watching a clip um, as I was doing some training recently of a movie that's all about him. And this movie is uh, his, uh, the particular clip is at his funeral um, ceremony there. And at the funeral, his coach is saying that he was known for being a person that cared just as much, if not more, about how he ran the race as winning the actual race. He won a lot of races, but he would say that if, if I don't run my hardest, if I don't leave it out there, he was known as being a gutsy runner. If he didn't leave everything out there on the field, then it wasn't worth running the race. Who cares if he would sit back the whole race and just barely you know, win at the end? No, he wanted to lead out front. He was a front runner who ran his entire race, at least he tried, out in front. And so for him, it was the way that he ran the race, not just winning the race, that mattered. 
And so, you know, for us as Christians, it's very much the same thing. The way that we run our race is important. The Bible talks about the Christian life as a race, not a 100-yard not a sprint or a 100-meter sprint, but as a marathon, as a distance race, as an endurance race, something that we got to keep going on day after day after day. It's like the never-ending run that you have to go and do. That's what the Christian life is like. And God is concerned not just that we finish the race. He's concerned about that. He's going to make sure that we finish the race. But he's concerned with the way that we run our individual race. See, in the book of Ephesians, Paul has spent chapters 1 through 3 reminding Christians how they were called. Each of them had a calling. They were called to this Christian race. Think back to Ephesians 1.4. It says, even as he chose us in him, before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. Or back to Ephesians 2, 8 and 10. For by grace you've been saved, through faith. And this is not of your own doing, it's the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So Paul has been reminding them, this is the race that you have been called to. This is the event that you have been called to participate in, called the Christian life. And the whole thrust of the book of Ephesians up until this point is because God chose you, because God saved you by his grace through faith, because he died for you on the cross, because he lives in you through the Holy Spirit, now go and live a life worthy of that calling. That's the whole thrust of the book of Ephesians up until this point. God is saying to us, now that I have called you and I have given you my Holy Spirit, now walk it out by faith. Live it out in the way that you conduct your life. Sorry, the printer uh, printed extra notes uh, for some reason. <laughs> I'm like, why is that again? Um, yeah, it wanted me to emphasize it, right? So God wants you to really hear that first point, okay? But this morning, as we think about this call uh, to the Christian life, this call to this race that each of us are running, the question that you and I need to ask is how are we running this race? Does it line up with the calling that we have received? We are wearing the jersey of Jesus Christ. Are we reflecting him and his team well? Both on the good days and on the bad days. When it's easy and when it's not easy. Are, is our lives matching up to the high calling that you and I have as Christians? This is the call of unity. But what Paul also does is he goes on to talk about how that unity can be accomplished. And this is where we're going to look at unity's characteristics in verse 2. Unity's characteristics. See, Paul gives us four characteristics or ingredients or qualities of Christian unity in the body of Christ. You see there humility, gentleness, patience, and bearing with one another in love. See, these are four characteristics or qualities that are essential to maintain unity. If we don't have one or another one of them, if one is lacking, 
then unity will be lacking. And I'll say from the offset, as I read this verse, I mean, it's, it's so convicting, right? As you look at this to say, yeah, I'm not very good at that with my brother and sister in Christ. I'm not very good at that. I'm not very good at this one either. But as these, these things are there, it enhances and it binds our Christian unity together. So let's look at some of these characteristics, starting with humility. Now, humility is talked about all over the Bible. You could say it's one of the most basic Christian virtues that we have, to have an honest assessment of ourselves before God. Right? We talked about in our, our time of confession, how when we look at the perfect standard of who God is, none of us ever match up. That's the basis of Christian humility, a right estimation of ourselves before the holiness of God. But for one who has come to embrace and experience the truth of the gospel, there's no more appropriate response than humility. When we understand that everything that we have been given from God is by grace, is by his mercy, the only response can be humility. How can there be pride when we rightly understand the glorious truth of the gospel? There is no room for pride. That's why humility is so important. But there's another side to humility here that I want to point out as one author puts it this way. He says, The essence of gospel humility is not thinking more of myself or less of myself. It is thinking of myself less. Did you catch that? Let me say it again. It's not thinking more of myself or less of myself. It is thinking of myself less. And so in this humility that the gospel brings, there is an other-centered focus, right? We're not just concerned about ourselves and our well-being or our walk with the Lord. We're concerned with the person next to us, the other Christian that we know, the brother or the sister in the Lord. And when we are focused on our brother and sister and when they're focused on our well-being, each for the other, what begins to happen? We begin to be unified. Because we are caring for each other the way that God has called us to care for each other. We are being simply the church. This leads to the next characteristic, which is gentleness. Gentleness, as you know, is one of the fruits of the Holy Spirit. You know, there in Galatians, where it talks about those different fruits. And it doesn't just mean a, a, a kindness or meekness without a backbone. But it actually is a strong word here. It, it speaks to, commentators say, a, a self-control or an element of restraint. So there is a kindness, yes, but also a, a strength that is showed in gentleness as we show it towards one another. But being gentle towards other people is hard work. It's easy to lash out in anger. It's easy to lash out in just a quick, abrupt comment to somebody. Ask any parent with young kids, right? They struggle with patience. I know I do with young kids, pretty much with everybody. But it's hard to show self-restraint. It's hard to show that spirit of gentleness that God calls us to show with one another. And yet again, this is another essential characteristic of unity. Paul goes on to talk about patience. Again, another fruit of the indwelling Holy Spirit, and it's foundational to our Christian unity. 
how necessary and yet difficult it is to have patience with one another, especially when a bunch of sinners gather together trying to do life and mission together, right? See, remember that the church is not full of a bunch of saints in the sense that we're all perfect. It's full of a bunch of sinners who are still a work in progress. And so when we come together, there's going to be some rubbing, right? There's going to be some, some annoying, some irritating, some difficulty that's going to require patience. And not only patience, but this fourth one, which is the one that for me is most convicting of all, bearing with one another in love. Think about this for a moment. Bearing with one another in love. Elsewhere in Scripture, we're talked about or we're told to bear one another's burdens. But here, the burden is actually you. And the burden is me. I am to bear you and all of your stuff, all of your junk in Christian love and patience. That's the call. One person, he puts it this way. It, it means to put up with his faults and idiosyncrasies knowing that we have our own. Right? <laughs> how true it is and how often we want to put up we want people to put up with our faults and our failures our own weird quirks or idiosyncrasies but we don't want to put up with theirs right but we don't get to pick and choose here in the family of God we are called to put up with each other to bear with one another in love so there isn't a loophole or an exception saying who we can and cannot show this to because we all know that there are people that are harder to love than others. I can get a witness for that, right? And you're probably one of them. No, I'm kidding. I'm probably one of them at one point, right? We're all one of them at one point. We're all difficult to love at some point or another. And yet the call remains the same. We don't get to pick and choose who we show this type of love towards. We are called to bear with one another no matter what. And in order for Christian unity to be maintained, you and I must bear with one another when it's hard, when it's easy, when things are, are, are going all out of whack in your life and you seem to have no control and the thought of loving another person just seems impossible. And everything in between. That call remains the same. So when we think about these four characteristics, we have to be honest with ourselves that these are difficult things to show. These may be ways to show Christian unity and maybe the way that we are strengthened and more unified together as a church, but they are difficult. Maybe sometimes they seem impossible as we've looked at before. How many times are we the opposite? Are we prideful? Are we harsh? Are we impatient? Or we not wanting to put up with one another and our stuff. You know, sometimes you think about the world around us and the reason why the world knows so little unity. Well, it's probably because these qualities are lacking. Why are there so many toxic workplaces? Why are there so many toxic teams and, and organizations? It's because the, the opposite of these characteristics rule those teams, those organizations. Those ungodly opposites rule and breed disunity. But the same thing can happen inside the church. We can begin, when one of these things are lacking, we can begin to be separate. We can let things come between us. 
And all of a sudden, there are divisions of all different kinds in a church. We've all heard about it, seen it, been a part of it maybe. Divisions in a church for this reason or for that reason. Something petty, maybe even something serious. And yet, these things come between us. And yet, the call here remains the same. But we have to be reminded that we have Jesus on our side. We have the Holy Spirit indwelling in us to help us. Otherwise, there would be no way that you and I could be unified together as the church. We're not left on our own to pull up our own bootstraps. We have the Lord Jesus. We have the Holy Spirit. We have the Father helping us to live out these characteristics day in and day out. But not only do we see unity's call and unity's characteristics here in these first few verses of Ephesians, we also see unity's continuation. Lastly, unity's continuation. See, one of the sad things about living in a fallen and sinful world is that things break down. Our houses break down, our cars break down, our bodies break down. Pretty much everything around us is breaking down. And without maintenance, it's going to keep breaking down even more, right? So you ask anybody with a car or anybody with a house, you got to do regular maintenance or that thing's not going to work the way it's supposed to work. Well, the same is true here of Christian unity, Paul reminds us. It's something that must be maintained or fought for with all vigilance or else the jungle of disunity will take over. It's not something that we can sit back and just let happen. So let's take a look here at verse 3. We'll read it once again. Uh, the call here is to be eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. So eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. So Christians here, we're reminded that we are to pursue with a strong resolve this unity. It's not going to come easily. It's something that is an ongoing task, not a one-time thing. Just like the Christian life is not just a 100-meter sprint, but it's a marathon. It's something you have to keep doing over and over and over again. It's kind of like weeding a garden in the hottest, wettest summer months. right? You go out there one time, and it's like, all right, I'm going to spend an hour in the garden weeding. I got it all, all weeded. And then you come back a week later, and it's like, I didn't even do anything. It turns into a jungle, right? I love to vegetable garden, and that's why I put down that weed fabric, because I ain't even messing with those weeds, right? Because they just keep coming back again and again and again. But disunity is kind of like those weeds. It will keep coming back. If you don't stay vigilant in maintaining unity through the Spirit, then disunity will come in like those crazy weeds on that summer month and will begin to entangle your community. Unity must be fought for consistently, regularly, and vigilantly by Christians. But we also need to be reminded here, as one commentator points out, that we do not work to create the unity, but to keep the unity. God unites us. We are to seek to maintain the unity by the Spirit's help. So that's an important distinction there. We're not the ones creating this unity among us as believers. God already did that through the work of Jesus Christ. We could not do that. There's no way that you can bring a group of sinful people together and have real unity as God defines it without Jesus. 
But as Jesus brought that unity together with his people, he helps us to do our job of maintaining that unity of the Spirit through the help of the Holy Spirit that dwells in us. That same Spirit lives in us and binds us together in perfect peace and in perfect harmony, and it increases at day after day as we seek to maintain that unity in the body of Christ so that the body of Christ can really truly function as the body of Christ. How many times do the Scriptures talk about the, the, Christ, uh, the church as a body and how the body has to work together in order to do what it's made to do? If you had all thumbs, the body's not going to work. Or if you had people trying to act like thumbs when they were really the feet, it's not going to work. And so we know the head is what? We know the head's Jesus Christ. And so as Jesus Christ is the head of his church, we are the body. The only way the body can stay together unified is being united in Christ. See, I chose this passage for a particular reason. You know, for our, our, our little church, as we look forward to a new school year, as we look to, to going beyond our UMT season, where we did lots of ministry all across the city, and now all the teams have gone home, now it's just us. Now it's our church. We don't have the other churches that have been with us and had those extra boots on the ground, but now in the quiet, as life kind of comes back to a, a slower norm, we need to be reminded that we are the family of God and that we are to be a united family and that we are to fight for that unity with everything that we have. We like to say that uh, New City Fellowship is a church of misfits. We're all misfits in one way or another, whatever church that we go to, but we are all brought together under Jesus. His church is a church of misfits those that don't quite fit, or those that don't have it all together, coming together for one purpose of glorifying Christ and knowing Him. The gospel of Jesus Christ creates and sustains a real and genuine, authentic, unified community of faith. That's the only way that we will be unified together. We need each other. This is who God has put in your life, the person next to you on the right and to the left. The only way that we can operate the way that God created us to is if we are unified. And so I want to encourage you to ask the Lord to help you and to me walk in a manner worthy of our calling, worthy of wearing that jersey of Team Jesus. And that as we continue to walk, that the Spirit of God would more and more so clothe us with these characteristics of humility, of gentleness, of patience, of bearing with one another in love. And as we fight for these things, that is the way which we maintain this unity that Jesus prayed for in his high priestly prayer in John 17. Jesus prayed that we would be one. Not that we would be many, but that we would be one. And so I think it's so important for us and our particular church as we look to a new, a new season that we would be reminded of the call of unity and how we are to pursue it and the job that each of us has to maintain that unity. 
So hopefully here in our look of Ephesians 4, God has began to stir some of those things up in you and me that each of us may work towards that in this new season. Amen? Amen. Amen. Well, let's pray together. Father God, we thank you that you are such a good God. Lord, we think about these qualities and these characteristics and how you exhibit them perfectly. You are perfectly patient. You're perfectly patient with us, people who there's no reason to be patient with us, and yet you are patient. You are perfectly gentle. You are perfectly humble, Jesus. You're perfectly bearing with one another in love. And we thank you for loving us that way so that we would know how to love our brothers and sisters in the Lord. And so, Lord, maybe you are convicting us of ways that we have not bared with one another in love, ways that we have not fought for unity in our church or our churches. God, maybe you are showing us ways that we can pursue that unity and be about being unified as as a body. And God, wherever we are this morning, I pray that you would please work in us what is pleasing to you and in your sight. Lord, we know that we are so dependent upon you that we will mess this thing up and botch it up in a minute if we don't trust in you. And so we pray for your help. We pray for your protection. We pray for your guidance, for your strength. That we would help to continue to maintain the unity of the Spirit and in the bond of peace. Bind us together close to your heart and toward each other's hearts. God, so that we might glorify you in this new season of life, whatever you are going to bring before us. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. You'll stand with me for our closing song.